The scripture text for today's sermon is found in Jeremiah 23, verse 32. I would like to read that verse again. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. Now, if you look at your timelines, I want to briefly introduce you to Jeremiah and his ministry. Jeremiah was a prophet of God who warned the people of Judah that judgment was coming because of their sins. He ministered, he began his ministry between the fall of the northern kingdom to Assyria and the fall of the southern kingdom to the Babylonians. And you may know that Jeremiah has been come to be identified by many as the weeping prophet because he wept and lamented over the fact that the people of God would be judged because they had forsaken God. But just because Jeremiah wept and cried over the people doesn't mean he was a softy. This was a man who persevered through uh, immense struggles and persecutions. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he was locked in prison. He was thrown in a pit for speaking the truth and calling people to repentance. And he persevered in calling out that sin, even though it seemed like no one was listening at times. And he, as you read through Jeremiah, it's almost as if you can count the, the converts of Jeremiah's ministry on one hand. But surely the, the impact of Jeremiah has gone beyond even his own lifetime, uh, even today, as the Church of Christ uh, reads uh, these words. So as I said, Jeremiah uh, was, was a man who was not afraid to lovingly call out sin. On one occasion, and at least one occasion, he stood in front of the Old Testament temple, the center of worship in Old Testament times, and he preached to the people who were entering in to, to worship that they needed to repent of their false religion. And it would be like today, standing in front of a, a, a megachurch, and while there's nothing wrong with a, a big church, uh, many of the churches in this nation are apostate. They've rejected the word of God, and it would be like standing in front of these apostate churches and preaching repentance to the people. So those who would go out and, and proclaim the truth uh, in the highways and byways are in good company with, with Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was bold but humble. He was relentless but compassionate. On some occasions he would weep and lament, and on other occasions he would pray to God for judgment against the wicked in the land. But one of the main problems in Jeremiah's ministry uh, was that there were other prophets who wanted to share a different message with God's people. So while Jeremiah was pouring out his heart uh, to, that the people would, would turn from their sins and walk in righteousness with God, there were other people that would come along and say, you know what? It's not that big a deal. It's okay. They wanted to comfort the people. And as we look at this text today, we'll see how the Lord addressed that situation and we'll see what the Lord Jesus Christ would have us learn today, 2,600 years later. So let's consider... From this text, three main points. First, we'll consider the claim of the false prophets. We'll consider the message of the false prophets. And we'll consider the benefit of the false prophets. And then we'll move on to consider how this portion of God's word applies to us today. So first, let's consider the, the claim of these false prophets. The claim. 
Again, verse 32 says, Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. However, this is exactly what the, the false prophets claimed. They claimed that they were speaking for God. They came along and saying, God told me this. God said this. This is a message from God. If you look at verse 25 in your Bibles, the Lord says, I have heard what the prophets said that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed. I have dreamed. Now, these prophets knew that mankind has a desire to be reaffirmed in their ways. Uh, we have a desire to, to be reaffirmed in, in, in the way we are living. And it wasn't that the people of Judah really wanted the truth from God. Jeremiah was preaching the truth. But they, they wanted a different message. But they wanted to be reassured from someone higher than themselves. And what higher authority is there than God? So the people of Judah provided this market for these false prophets. You see, the people didn't abandon their desire to hear from God. Rather, they sought to accept a counterfeit in its place. They, they were content to suppress the, the true word of God and accept the word of man. And so they wanted to retain their religiosity. They wanted to retain uh, a pretense of religion, but they didn't want to hear the true word of God. And, and so there, there is always going to be a market for people who want to hear from God because people want that reassurance. They want comfort. They want encouragement in their ways. And you might be one today who, like the people in Jeremiah's day, uh, want, want someone to come along and tell you that you're doing okay. You want to hear someone tell you that, you know, those who preach judgment and those who preach that, uh, that God is, will judge sinners and that you need the righteousness of Christ and that you can't please God on your own and that sin is dangerous and leading you to hell, you might want someone to come along and tell you, you know what, those people are lunatics who preach that. You're doing pretty good. You're doing fine. Uh, just keep at it. Uh, and and they'll, they'll tell you that God's not angry with sinners, and they'll tell you that he's not angry with you. Now, this is a common experience of the sinner, of, of the, the, the person outside of Christ. It's to be convicted of sin in some measure. Maybe it's from reading the Bible. Maybe it's from hearing the truth from a Christian. Maybe it's from seeing a Christian just live out their life. Uh, maybe it's just from knowing, because God has written on our heart what is right and wrong, and knowing what is right and wrong, and yet choosing to do wrong. And yet, uh, he wants to continue on in that sin. And if he can just get someone to tell him, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, don't listen to that guilt. Don't listen to your conscience. You're free to live how you want. Uh, God's pleased with you. However you choose to live, God's pleased with you. Yes, you can come to church. You can try and do good. But don't be too hard on yourself. Now, that's the mindset that has permeated American Christendom. Uh, where we have homosexuality and fornication rampant, uh, accept, accepted in churches. Uh, and as I said, these churches are apostate. But even, even beyond those clear examples, we can do, we can do the same thing. Uh, you can be reading the Bible, and you can be confronted uh, with a certain sin, and you can, you can think, you know what, this is starting to, to convict me, and you can think of someone, I'm going to go to this person, uh, and I'm going to ask them what they think, because, because you know that they're going to comfort you and give you reassurance and not, and not try to apply that scripture to your life. They'll say, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay. And so you start to feel the weight and conviction for God's, uh, from God's word. And then if you just think, if I can just hear someone else that will tell me it's not that bad, it's not that serious, then I'll feel better. So we have to be uh, cognizant of that as well. 
So if we can do that with man's word, if we can want comfort from the word of another human to, to comfort us when we're convicted uh, from God's word, how much more if people come along and say, I have the wor- a word from the Lord and I have a word from God and, and God's saying to you that everything's okay. And you don't need to seriously consider your life and your sins and you don't need to to repent and and walk in the truth. And so that's the ultimate assurance to have someone come along and say they have a message from God and that all is well with you. So the false prophets claim to speak for God, but the source of their message was actually the vanity of their own mind. Look in your Bibles at verse 16. For the scripture says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. In verse 26, it says, how long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. They're all bark and no bite. They have big claims, but no substance. So they claim to speak for God, but it's a message of their heart. And the heart's a bad place to look for a message from God. Proverbs 28, 26 says that he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. So it's, it's, it's bad enough to trust in your own heart. It's even worse to claim that, that those, the thoughts of your heart are messages from God. So that's what the false prophets were doing. That's their claim. They were claiming to speak for God when they were really just speaking the imaginations of their own hearts. And so let's consider now their message. What was the message of the false prophets? Look in your Bible at verse 17. They say still unto them that despise me. The Lord hath said, ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. The message that these false prophets were giving was that danger and judgment would not come. They were saying all is well and God's not angry. They were saying peace, peace when there was no peace. And it's not so much that these false prophets came along and said, God's not going to deal with sin. The, 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 these false prophets were, were in Judah and they were speaking to the people that claim the name of God. And so it wasn't that they taught that God wouldn't deal with the sin of others because you can, you can uh, imagine that these people of Judah the northern kingdom's already been taken into captivity, and God has said that the Babylonians will come and take the, the southern kingdom into captivity. And so these false prophets surely didn't come and say, you know what, God's not going to deal with sinners out there. I'm sure they said God's going to judge the Babylonians, and God will judge the Assyrians, and God will judge Nebuchadnezzar. But you, who claim the name of God, all's well with you. God's not angry with you. God would never... Uh, be angry uh, with someone who claims to be a follower of him. You know, it, it's saying those people out there, you know, ISIS and, and, and the people out there that are doing horrible things, that's where God's judgment's going to come. But, you know, if you're in the church and if you, if you claim to be a Christian, then you're fine. And, and that's, that's the danger that these false prophets, they didn't come along and say, hey, God won't deal with sin. They came along and said, God won't deal with your sin. And that's a, that's a message of comfort to, these, to the people that wanted to hear this. They said, God won't deal with your sin. And that stands in stark contrast to Jeremiah's message. Uh, for example, I'll just read chapter 4, verse 4, where Jeremiah calls the, calls the people to repent. He says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart. Men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. So this is a message. These false prophets were giving this message of encouragement to those who claim the name of the Lord. And yet, look what it said in verse 17. They despise him. They don't love the Lord. They are not walking with him. Yet they have a veneer of religiosity. And they say to these people, everything's okay. You're doing fine. So the the people of Judah should have known the danger of this message. And one of the ways that God commanded his people to identify a false prophet was if the one is is if the predictions that these the prophets made failed to come to pass. But secondly, and most importantly, was doctrinal fidelity to God's word. If someone came along speaking for God and what they said contradicted the law of God, it contradicted the books of Moses. That prophet was to be rejected, rejected. And so the people in Judah fell for these false prophets. Yes, because they wanted to hear a reassuring word, comfort in their sins, but also because they weren't truly profiting from God's word. If they would have been profiting from God's word, they would have known that what Jeremiah was preaching, the warnings that Jeremiah was giving was exactly what God said would come to pass in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Read Deuteronomy 28 later today and just see how God, God said, if my people forsake me, this is what's going to happen. These are the judgments that will come. So the people of Judah should have known that Jeremiah was preaching the truth. And these false prophets had a message of peace and comfort when they shouldn't have been giving that. Now, this can, there's a couple other ways that this false peace can be uh, given. Charles Spurgeon talked of a, a father who had several children and his oldest son was living in rebellion to the Lord, didn't love the Lord, and he, he died at a young age. And he gathered his children around and he said to them, My dear children, I have no hope that your brother is with the Lord, but rather that he will spend an eternity in hell because he didn't, he didn't know Christ. And, and the man said, what, Spurgeon said, What message would it send to those children if their father said, you know, here's your brother who you know has lived a wicked, rebellious life, and yet I think he's with the Lord now. That's a false peace. So there are many ways this false peace can be given. So we can't just comfort people for the sake of comforting them. So that was their message, a message of peace, peace, when there was no peace because the people were walking in rebellion. Well, let's consider now the benefit of these false prophets. Roman numeral three, the benefit of the false prophets. What benefit to the Old Testament church did these false prophets provide? What benefit did they provide? Again, look at verse 32. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. They do not profit the people at all. The fake spokesmen and the fake spokeswomen for God brought no benefit. The people of Judah were no better off with these false prophets running around trying to get a word from the Lord, trying to, to give them something new to make them feel better. The people were no better off. It didn't bring them any benefit. It brought no benefit in Jeremiah's day, And it wouldn't bring any today as a look at. But let's consider first 
Why didn't there, this, uh, these false prophets and their messages bring any profit, bring any benefit? And this will lead us then into application. So let's consider three reasons why they didn't benefit the people. Well, reason number one, that the false prophets brought no benefit to the Old Testament church, is that they comforted false professors in their self-deception. They comforted false professors in their self-deception. Again, verse 17, they say, Still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, Ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, No evil shall come upon you. So they comforted these people. Now, there, are, there were people in Jeremiah's day, and there are people today who claim the name of God, who claim to be a part of God's chosen people. Today, they may have been involved in Jeremiah's day. They may have been involved in the Old Testament worship at the temple. And today they may be members of churches. So these people profess godliness. They profess to be a part of God's people. They claim to be in relationship with God. Now, in the Old Testament, one could only be in relationship with God by trusting in the revealed God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, by trusting in the Lord God of Israel and looking forward to that promise of redemption of sin, looking forward to the Christ that would come and crush the head of the serpent. And in like manner, in New Testament times, people can only be in relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saints, as it were, looked forward to the work of Christ. We look back to his work, but all must trust in the same living Christ. So there are many in Jeremiah's day, there are people today who claim to be in relationship with God. They're professors of religion. We're not talking about college teachers, but they profess to be in relationship with God. They claim the name of Christ. And yet they were despising God by walking in disobedience. And so these, these prophets who said they had a word from God came along and they comforted these people. They didn't confront them. They comforted them. Now, Jeremiah confronted these people. There are many examples. Let me just give you a few from chapter 7. Jeremiah confronted the people about oppressing the sojourner and the widow, about shedding innocent blood, about going after other gods, about stealing, about murdering, about committing adultery, about swearing falsely, about practicing feigned repentance and hypocritical religion. That's Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 6 through 10. Now, today we can see the same thing, where people can claim to be following God, they can claim to be Christians, and yet walk in disobedience. They can steal, they can commit adultery, whether the actual act or whether committing adultery of the mind. They can abandon God's word when it comes to purity, when it comes to self-control, when it comes to faithfulness to the church, when it comes to putting sin to death. They can have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And so these false prophets in Jeremiah's day did not benefit the people of God because they did not confront the false professors of religion. They comforted them. They did not confront them. And you might be like those in Jeremiah's day who would be happy to hear someone, have someone come along and say, all is well, but I can guarantee you that a false prophet will bring you no benefit because they won't confront your self-deception. They won't confront your false profession of faith 
Instead, they'll pat you on the back and say, you'll have peace. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. You could be uh, one breath away from being cast into hell for eternity because of your sin against God. And yet these false prophets will come along and say, hey, it's not that big of a deal. There's no danger here when your sins are leading you to an eternity of destruction. So they brought no benefit because they didn't confront the people that were in that position. They didn't confront them. They comforted them. Well, the second reason these false prophets did not benefit the Old Testament church was that they failed to provide application for righteous living. They failed to provide application for righteous living. Look at verse 22. But if they, speaking of these false prophets, but if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Now, the false prophets had a lot of emotional, reassuring, and comforting words, but they did not give application, direction, and guidance to the people as to how they could walk in obedience to God's law. They didn't apply it to their heart. They didn't show them their need to turn from specific sins. They didn't show them uh, their need to, to repent of certain things in their lives. They let the people just continue on thinking they were hearing a message from God, but never applying it to their hearts. You can have a lot of doctrine, which is important, but you need application to the heart if you are to benefit. And these false prophets did not provide that application to the Old Testament church. Now, you can understand why these false prophets wouldn't do that. It's a lot easier to just give people a reassuring message. When you start to show people from God's word how... Every area of your life needs to be subjected to God's word. A lot of people don't like that. They don't like that. The true saints of God will, even though they have to battle their pride and repent of their pride. But false professors won't like being told, this is how the word of God applies to you. This is how you need to live your life based on this word right here. And that's the one, that's the one thing that's clear about the false prophets. They were more concerned about their approval rating than they were about honoring God and providing application for righteous living. You start to step on toes when you give application from God's word. And the false prophets did not want to do that. They neglected the end of the word of God, which is that it would transform us and change us that we might honor God and walk in obedience to him and walk in holiness and give him the praise and worship that he deserves. So they brought no benefit because they didn't provide any application for righteous living. Well, number three, the third reason why these false prophets did not benefit the Old Testament church is that they caused the people to forget who God is. They caused the people to forget who God is. Good verse 27. Which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor. As their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. And also look at verse 30. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. God's word is his revelation of himself. It is his self-revelation to his people. And when you come along and say, this is what you need to hear, instead of God's word, that something else is theft. It's stealing the word of God from the people. 
It's taking it out of their hands, out of their heart, and out of their mind. When you bring something else and say, this is what you need to hear instead of this, you take out the word of God and you replace it with garbage. And even though these people were claiming to speak for God, they took the true word of God out of the people's ear. It was as if Jeremiah was preaching the truth, pouring out his heart to these people, that they would turn and see their danger. And as soon as that word's in the ear of the people, the false prophets come along and whisper poison into their ears and take out the word of God. They come in and whisper reassurance and comfort. And they fill the people's minds with falsehoods, and so they forget who God is. You see, God's word is how you know him. And the further you get away from his word, you start to forget who he is. And you could start to imagine that the way you think is the way God thinks. And you could start to think that the way you deal with sin is the way God would want you to deal with sin. And unless your mind is being shaped by the word, you will forget who God is. You will. You might say, well, of course I still know God. But you're going to start to think that the way you think in your own thinking is how God thinks, instead of being transformed by the word. So these false prophets came along, and they caused the people to forget who God is by bringing in a substitute, any substitute, I don't care what it is, any substitute for the word of God is going to make people forget who God is. Now, God has strong words for these false prophets, and we do need to move on to application But I do want to say this. I wouldn't want to be told by God that he's against me and is coming after me. And if you read the language of this chapter in in verses 11 and 12, especially, it's a frightful thing. It's not just that these false prophets didn't benefit the people of God. It's that they were spreading wickedness throughout the land in verse 15. So God said he's coming against these people. God doesn't take it lightly when someone comes and claims to have a word from him. He doesn't take that lightly, and we shouldn't either, because it brings no benefit to the church. So these false prophets claimed to speak for God. They had a message for the people of God, those who claimed to be God's people. Their message was, Jeremiah is, 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 you know, he's too hard of a preacher. He's trying to apply the word to your life and so that your life would be changed and that you'd be warned of the danger and that you would examine your heart and see if you're living righteously. You guys and the false prophet said, you guys just need to take it easy. Everything's fine. That was their message. And they brought no benefit because they didn't confront the nature of unbelief and false religion. They didn't provide any application and they actually caused people to forget who God is. Well, let's move on now to application. How can we apply this today, even here at Grace and Truth Community Church? Well, first, point A, let's consider Jeremiah and Jesus. Now, Jeremiah really is a picture of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the greater Jeremiah. Jeremiah wept for sinners. Jesus wept for sinners. Jeremiah preached the judgment to come of the Babylonians coming in. And Jesus preached the judgment to come, the destruction of Jerusalem and also the ultimate judgment that we will all face if we're outside of Christ, where we will stand before God and give an account for everything we've done in our life and every idle word we've spoken. But the coming of Christ also fundamentally changed the way the church interacts with prophets. With the coming of Christ, God has spoken fully and completely And Jesus Christ is that perfect prophet 
that Jeremiah was just a shadow of. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We already read this, but I want to just read this verse again. And as you're turning there, I want to point out to you the difference that exists in our day and in Jeremiah's day. As I said, in Jeremiah's day, the two ways to test a prophet was if their prediction failed to come to pass or if uh, their theological fidelity to the revealed word of God, if what they were saying lined up with the word. And we can still use those standards today as far as when we're reading the scripture. And if, if we're reading the scripture and our own understanding of the text contradicts what God has revealed in, his, in the Ten Commandments, we should reject that understanding. So in Jeremiah's day, when these prophets came along and contradicted God's word, they should have been rejected. Now, today our situation is different, and I want to show you why. why. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord says this, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. In these last days he has spoken unto us by his Son. Jeremiah longed for that true prophet. He longed for the, 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 the good shepherd, the righteous branch. He longed for the one who would speak the truth fully to God's people. And Jesus Christ doesn't tickle ears, and he won't tickle your ears if you hear his word from the scriptures. We don't need another word from God, because God has spoken in his son. He's spoken in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reformers understood the importance of this issue. They understood that revelation from God is so foundational to the life of the church that they dealt with this issue. And there are so many things uh, in church history that have been dealt with that we forget, that we would, do, we would do well to consider. And it's a shame we can forget these things. Now, in the, in the very first chapter of the Baptist Confession, the men dealt with this issue in the first chapter because they knew that the Word of God is so important to the church. And they put it in the first section, actually. So in your bulletin insert there, uh, I, wa- I want to read this quote to you. Because the writers of the Baptist Confession, affirming what was written in the Westminster Confession, needed to deal with this issue even back in the 1600s. And I want you to see this because this is important. They recognized the danger that new words from God can cause to the church. So follow along here as I read this. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare his will unto his church. And afterward, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, to commit the same holy unto writing, which maketh the holy scriptures to be most necessary those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. The former ways that God spoke to the people through the prophets has now ceased. In the old days, he spoke to the fathers through the prophets in many ways. In these last days, he has spoken unto us through his son. So we don't need a new word from the Lord. You see, the men who died so that the Bible could be uh, written in English, they understood that God is speaking today, but he's speaking in his word. They understood the importance of God's word. 
And so we need to guard against any, any who would come along and say they have a new word from the Lord in any way. And, and we'll see that that can happen today in many ways. Uh, and, and I want to consider a, a, a popular book in this next section. In section B, Chaffer Wheat, Jesus Calling. Now I want you to understand that in dealing with this book, I do it because I, like Jeremiah, desire for the people of God to be focused on God's revealed word, the true message, and not to be carried away by other things. So I want to take a few minutes just to provide some comments on this. A couple reasons why. Number one, this is not an abstract concept. Uh, this book has sold millions of copies, and no doubt it's in, it's in some of our bookshelves uh, in this room, but there's just discernment that's needed for a book like this. That's the first reason it's real and amongst us. But the second reason is, and you may have never even heard of this book, but the second reason is that uh, this, this illustrates the problem that can occur in a variety of ways even today. So you may not even read anything else, but the, the problem is still there. It can come through people talking, it can come through the radio, it can come through anything. So I want to briefly uh, share some thoughts about this book by way of application and by way of warning, to warn you of the dangers of, of books like this. Well, this book, Jesus Calling, was originally written in 2004, and in the original introduction of this book, uh, there's this following quote. And listen to this and see if you can catch uh, why this is so dangerous and how it applies to what we were uh, just talking about. The author writes, During that same year, I began reading God Calling, a devotional book written by two anonymous listeners. These women practiced waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils and paper in hand, recording the messages they received from him. The messages were written in the first person, with I designating God. The following year, I began to wonder if I, too, could receive messages during my times of communing with God. I had been writing in prayer journals for years, but that was one-way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for something more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. Soon messages began to flow more freely, and I bought a special notebook to record these words. This new way of communicating with God became the high point of my day. Now, interestingly, the publisher or the author decided to revise this introduction and perhaps realizing how it showed their hand that the whole basis of the book is that the scriptures are not sufficient. And that's a problem that exists today in the church. It's, yes, yeah, I have the Bible, but I want more. Yeah, we have God's word, but I need something else. And so in Jeremiah's day, you had these prophets coming along, speaking for God and, and, and giving a new word. And in our day, you still have false prophets going around, paying lip service to the word of God, saying, yeah, this is God's word, but it's not enough. You need something more. You need something extra. And as we'll see, whenever someone does that, they fall into the same three problems the false prophets did. They don't benefit the people. So the new introduction of this book removed these overt references, but it still retained the, lack of, the belief in the lack of sufficiency of God's word. And when people read the book, uh, 
It's written as if Jesus Christ is speaking. It's written in the first person. So while it says, oh, this isn't inspired, it might say the introduction, but that's the whole foundation of the book, that this is Jesus speaking. And I want to give you some examples of this just to show you uh, what sort of things are written in this book. And this is supposed to be Jesus speaking. Here's one entry. It says, don't be so hard on yourself. I can bring good even out of your mistakes. Your finite mind tends to look backward, longing to undo decisions you've come to regret. Instead of floundering in the past, release your mistakes to me. Look to me in trust, anticipating that my infinite creativity can weave both good choices and bad in a lovely design. Because you are human, you will continue to make mistakes. Here's another entry. Nothing can separate you from my love. Let this divine assurance trickle, da- trickle through your mind and into your heart and soul. Most of man's kind misery stems from feeling unloved. Now, a lot of these messages are just ambiguous and fluffy, but some of them are of downright error. Man's kind misery does not come from feeling unloved. It comes from his sin against a righteous God, and God's wrath is upon him, and sin destroys. And it's not because man feel bad that they have misery. They feel bad because they're sinners. So these messages are ambiguous and fluffy, but the main thing is that uh, they claim to be the words of Christ. And that's why this book has taken off even amongst unbelievers. Unregenerate people love to be told uh, that they're doing pretty good. They love to be comforted in their sin. And understand this, if the message doesn't make you a bit uncomfortable and it doesn't stir you up to examine your heart for sin, it's not profitable. And I can think of a lot of false, Christ, false professors of Christ that would love to read that book uh, because it's not going to fr- confront them with the nature of unbelief. It's not going to confront their sin and self-deception. But for the true believer, it's not going to provide any soul-searching application for, for righteous living. So it's not going to profit anybody. And, and this book was in the top five of nonfiction books uh, sold of any genre. And so I don't have a problem with large book sales, but the problem is when the message being sold is vague, wishy-washy, and, and it's claiming to be the voice of the Lord. I have a problem with that. And so if you have this book or if you've come across it, just understand at its core, this book is a rejection of the sufficiency of Scripture. So people do want to be comforted. That's why books like this are so successful. People want to be comforted. They want what only God can offer, but they want it without repentance without conviction for sin. They want it without being forced to examine their lives. And uh, in the introduction, one more thing, the author says this. In many parts of the world, Christians seem to be searching for a deeper experience of Jesus' presence and peace. The devotions that follow address that felt need. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has spoken in his word. If there are people out there that truly want to experience Christ... They can find him speaking in the word of God. And like Jeremiah said, if these people really wanted to profit the people of God, they would expound the scriptures so the people's lives would change and they would apply the truth to their lives, to their marriages, to their families, to how they raise their children, to how they treat others. That they would love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul and strength. I'm reminded of Justin Peters who would say, listen, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear him speak audibly, read it out loud. 
Now, of course, if you read through that book, it's not going to confront sin. It's not going to deal with righteous living. And it's going to be very comforting to anybody who would pick it up. It'll do the, the three things that the false prophets do. Now, there's a long list of men and women who are claiming to receive these messages from God. And we do have to move on, but I would like to point out that there are others. I'm sure you've heard of Benny Hinn, uh, Beth Moore, claiming to receive revelation from God. And, and, and the same problem exists. Lip service being paid to the word of God. Yes, this is God's word, but I have dreamed or I have heard, and this is the message God has given me. And these people are coming along and stealing the word of God. They're coming along, selling millions of books, and they're taking people away from the truth of God's word. William Tyndale, John Wycliffe, I mean, these men died so that the Bible could be translated and read by their countrymen. And what would they think of people today that are taking people's attention off of this and focusing it on garbage? They're distracting people from the word of God. Most importantly, what does God think? What does God think of these counterfeits who are stealing God's word? I wouldn't want to be in their position because we know God will come against them. And I pray that they would repent and remove these books and point people to the one true sufficient word of God. It's the only infallible and it, a word of God and it is sufficient. We don't need new messages to experience Jesus. We don't need new messages to experience Jesus. Well, letter C, our final point of application here is letter C. So God's word is the substance. Those who come along and try to give you something else, something more, something extra, whatever it is, whether it was the prophets in Jeremiah's day or those today that would give us something else, that's just chaff. It's fluff. And it's worse than that. It's poison because it takes people away from the word of God. And God says he will feed those who do such thing with wormwood and poisonous water. So God's word is not to be compared with these false messages. What has the chaff to do with the wheat? God's word is like a, a fire and a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It cannot be compared to this, this fluff. So when you look out the state of, of, of the professing church in America and you see uh, the apostate churches, we don't need new people, uh, new words from God. We don't need people running around trying to make the church feel better. The church, uh, the, 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 there's a true remnant, but the professing church in America needs to repent of their false religion. And the word of God needs to be preached uh, with conviction, clarity, and there needs to be warning to the people of the dangers of false religion. We don't need these people coming along trying to make the church feel better. And the reason people can fall for this sort of thing, and the reason that even you could be tempted to look elsewhere is because you might not be satisfied with the word of God. You could say, yes, God speaks in the Bible, but I want more. But I want to give you five principles that you would profit from God's word. And that you wouldn't even think of, this would prevent you from even wanting an extra word, from wanting something else. And you might say, listen, I don't read any of these books, I don't listen to Christian radio, but it might come from somewhere else. And most importantly, you need to be profiting from the word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ wants the members of his church to profit from the word. 
And if you practice these principles, you will benefit from the word. You won't desire a new word. You'll be so convinced and so satisfied and content in the sufficiency of Scripture and overwhelmed with the majesty of Scripture that you wouldn't need another word. You wouldn't for a second fall for that. And you would recognize those false messages for what they are, distractions from righteous living. So I want to go through these. Principle number one for profiting from the word of God is to read it as a Christian. Read it as a Christian. Now listen to me. If you're not a Christian, you can't grasp the things of God. You can't truly profit from the word. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the word you need to hear, though. If you have not the life of God in your soul and you are not walking in obedience with the Lord and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the word you need to hear just as much as any Christian here. Yes, the false prophets will come along and tell you uh, that you're fine and you don't need you don't need Christ. You don't need the Bible. You don't need church. But they'll be whispering poison into your ears. And they'll let you continue on towards destruction. Now, you may not like what you read in the Bible. And you may want to read what you like. But the truth is that you don't need others to tell you, peace, peace. When you need the truth that God's wrath is upon you, if you're outside of Christ, and you're headed for hell because of your sin, and you need a Savior, and God calls you to repent and flee from the wrath to come. So the first thing is to read the Bible as a Christian. Now, some might say, well, listen, I've tried to read the Bible and I found no interest in it. And then they get carried off into some idolatrous religion or confessed uh, professed atheism or whatever. But that's because they were never a Christian. A Christian doesn't try to read the Bible and then stop and say, well, I'm never going to read that again. So don't just say, well, I won't read the Bible. I'm not a Christian. Make it your first priority to beg God Every time you open the word, say, oh, Lord, make me a Christian that I might profit from your word, that I might that I might benefit from the word that you've given to your people. That I might profit from it. So read it as a Christian and and open the word every day. And even if you're not a Christian and beg God to make you a Christian and to reveal to you your need for a savior. Because that's the first that's the first principle. Read it as a Christian. Now, of course, let's move on to these other points. Because God does want those that are in Christ to profit from his word. So, principle number two. Read it thoroughly. Read it thoroughly. You need a steady diet of the word of God. A steady diet. Thomas Boston, a Puritan, on giving useful directions for reading... And searching the scriptures says, follow a regular plan in reading them, that you may be acquainted with the whole. Read the whole scripture. Now, I understand there are times, there are certain days when, when, when certain things happen and you're only able to read a small portion. But generally, make it your goal to consistently work through the whole Bible. There may be a day where we, we, we barely get to eat, but our, the general course of our life is we have a couple meals a day. So we should be feasting on the word daily. And Boston goes on and he says this. He says, some parts of the Bible are more difficult. Can you relate to that? Reading the scriptures and, and some parts are just difficult. And you don't understand what you're getting from this. 
So he says some parts of the Bible are more difficult. Some may seem very barren for an ordinary reader. So it may not seem like you're getting much from it. Say, why am I reading this? But he says, but if you would look on it all as God's word, not to be scorned and read it with faith and reverence, no doubt you would find advantage. Just keep reading. Fathers, when you lead your family in family worship, read through the scriptures. There's nothing more important that you could be reading than the word of God with your children. Read a chapter with them every day. Read, read large portions because we need to hear the whole message of God's word. And we would take advantage. You will find advantage. It may not seem like it at first. But if you are a child of God, you will find profit from reading through the word. And the church is here to, to help us with that. Just keep reading. Read it regularly. Read it thoroughly. Well, number three, read it humbly. Read it humbly. If you want to profit from the word of God, read it humbly. What do I mean by that? Well, there's another Puritan named Thomas Watson. And he says, read with a humble heart and acknowledge that you are unworthy that God should reveal himself to you. When you understand that you don't deserve to read the Bible. I mean, have you ever thought about that? That you don't deserve to read this. On top of that, men laid down their lives so that their countrymen could read this. And we understand that. That we don't deserve the Bible. We're not going to approach it. Well, yeah, I have a Bible. You know, I'm, yeah, I, I probably should read a little bit more. You don't deserve to read it. I don't deserve to read it. And if you read it humbly, it would prevent much of this arrogance that would make us think, well, yeah, the Bible's good, but we need something more. We need something extra. We need something fresh. Every time you open the Bible, remind yourself you don't deserve to read this word. It's God's grace that he would even reveal himself to us. Well, number four, read it prayerfully. Read it prayerfully. Let me encourage you to beg of God for a blessing on what you read. The psalmist prays, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. Pray that God would open your understanding to the word. Be consistent in prayer as you read. Sometimes the best way to read the Bible is just to pray slowly over each verse as you're reading. Praying that God would open your understanding and, and give you Insight into the word, not so that you'd have a new message and something fresh, but so you'd understand the scripture. Read it prayerfully. Realizing our dependence upon the Lord as we read. Pray that God would open your mind and that that it would be applied to your life. Which leads us to number five and to the culmination of this. Principle number five for profiting from the word of God is to read it obediently. Read it obediently. Look for comfort. Remember, the people in Jeremiah's day wanted comfort. They wanted reassurance and encouragement in the way they were living. And every, all people want that. So there's nothing wrong with looking for that comfort from God. But look for comfort not in feeling better. Not in having someone or some message pat you on the back and say, hey, you're doing all right. Look for comfort not in feeling, but in obeying God's word. 
Jonathan Edwards said that assurance, which is the greatest comfort to the Christian to know that he knows the Lord and to be in fellowship with Christ. Assurance is not to be obtained, Edwards said, so much by self-examination as by action. It's not that you earn your salvation, but by obeying God's word and obeying the scripture and applying what you read to your life and putting it into practice, that provides you with assurance of your salvation, not because you earned it, but because it demonstrates to you the reality of your faith. Now, Jeremiah said that if if these false prophets were actually proclaiming the truth, the people would have repented of their sins and walked obediently. And if you want to if you want to know whether or not you're truly profiting from the word, is your life changing? Are you growing in obedience? Again, I have to read this quote here by Boston. because This is so good. He says, let your main purpose in reading the scripture be practice and not bear knowledge. He says, whatever you learn from the word, labor to put it into practice. He says, no wonder those people get little insight into the Bible who make no effort to practice what they know. Now, you may be tempted to think, listen, I don't know that much about the Bible. I don't know much about history of the Old Testament, of the New Testament times. I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. I don't have time to read a bunch of other stuff. You might think these things and think, I can't profit from the word like someone else, like a seminary student or a scholar. I don't have theological training. Listen, there's a good place for those things in the church. And, and the Lord's given ministers, to the, uh, elders to the church to, to edify the saints. But if you want to know the best way to profit from the word, the best way to profit from the word, it's in obeying it and applying it to your life. Read it obediently, and you will benefit from it. You may think, I, I, I just need all this other stuff. I don't, I don't know enough of the scriptures. Listen, keep reading it, but you know enough to apply to your life. And that's the way you, you profit from the word. Someone who knows the whole scripture and never applies it to their heart and to their life is not profiting from it. Remember what, what Boston said. You may seem dry for an ordinary reader. You may seem like an ordinary reader. And that you, you just can't get much out of it. But I guarantee you, if you read it humbly and prayerfully and thoroughly and obediently, you will profit from the scripture. You will profit from the scripture. And you won't think uh, for a moment that you need something else. If you practice these principles by the power of God's spirit, you won't for a moment fall for these cheap imitations of God's word. You won't be tempted to think the scripture is not enough. So read it as a Christian, read it thoroughly, read it humbly, read it prayerfully, and may all those things lead to reading it obediently. And your main thought from reading the scripture after understanding it should not be, oh, that's nice, or, or well, that's, that's interesting, but, oh, Lord, write that on my heart that I might live for thy glory. Well, I was asked one time that I was asked, what I would do if someone came up to me and said, listen, I know your whole life story. I knew I know what you were wearing two weeks ago you, and you were in the car. You had this shirt on or or I know what was I know everything that happened. And I have a message from God for you. I was asked, what would what would you do? What would you say to that person? 
They have a message from God. I mean, obviously, they know something about you. What would you say to them? This person that says, I have a message from God. I'd say, I don't need it. I don't need your message from God. What more can he say to you, dear Christian, than he has said right here in his word? We don't need new words for the Lord. We need the old paths, and we need to walk in them by the power of God's spirit for the glory of Christ. You don't need someone to come and speak to you and and, and have a special word. You just need the scripture. If you won't hear this, you won't hear anything else. So the church needs again men who will stand up and declare, thus saith the Lord, and preach the word of God. Because Jesus is calling, but he's calling in his word. And he's calling his people to be faithful to his word. And he's calling to his elect that they would be gathered into the church, that he would be glorified and the church will be edified. So the battle for the sufficiency of God's word begins in your own heart and your own mind. Is the Bible enough? Do you need a word from a false prophet? Read it, obey it, and you will find that the Bible is enough. What has the chaff to do with the wheat? God's word is enough. Do not fall for anything else. Join with me in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time in your word, and I pray that your church would be edified and strengthened and encouraged and to be to delight themselves in your word, that we would profit from your word, that we would read it humbly and prayerfully and thoroughly and obediently, and that we would even examine our hearts, and that we would examine our hearts to see if, if we are reading it as a Christian, that there would be some in this room that would, would see that they need you to change their heart, that they might profit from the word. And I pray, O Lord, that you would be glorified in this church as we walk humbly and obediently with you for your glory, for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that all uh, nations would would bow before him and worship him because he is worthy and that he would receive uh, the reward for his suffering. And I pray that you would bless this word to our hearts and that we would be encouraged and apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.